1: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Citizens of Lorkana podcast, a podcast where we invite you to be a part of their world. We are your host, Jared and James, and today we are talking about how to up your skills as a competitive card player. So without further ado, let's jump into the episode. Hey everyone, welcome, welcome to another week. And this week we are excited to have another special guest. Now, last pod, we had an amazing conversation about convention prep, because as we all know, Gen Con is coming up sooner than we even expect. And we had that discussion with Sean Marshall of Parks and Con. So if you missed that podcast, make sure to go back and listen to it. This week, we are discussing what it takes on how to go from being a good to a great competitive player with a guest who needs no introduction. Our guest is none other than Sugi from the cast. Now, this is an episode that I recorded with Sugi, so sadly, we won't hear James' melodious voice. But before we get to the interview, we do have some news.
2: We do, and uh, if you keep calling it a melodious voice, I will sing, and then I will uh, dash all thoughts of it being a melodious (laughs) voice. (laughs) Who knows? You might have a great voice. I've never heard you sing before. I, I have a really good talking voice and a horrible singing voice. Uh, there is no such thing as being able to follow, uh, what is it, a tune? A tone? Carry a uh, tune. Yeah, I cannot do that at all. So Same. be thankful all I do is talk. <laughs> <laughs> speaking of, uh, we got a Valentine's Day present from the official Disney Lorcana social media accounts. They revealed a new card called Magic Mirror. And not only is it a new card, but it is a new card type items. So uh, this card is uh, a two-cost card with uh, only the hexagon, no swirl around the hexagon. It is Amethyst. And the uh, ability on it is called Speak. And it has the exert symbol and then four hexagons cost whatever you want to call it so basically spend four resource to draw a card and then the flavor text is what wouldst thou know my queen uh so what do you think about that jared
1: it's hard to know exactly what to think about it without the rules i mean i love card draw um it's a powerful mechanic but four resources seems kind of high I'm still not convinced that the ink and the hexagons aren't two separate resources, but we just don't know yet what What do you think about it?
2: uh well it looks cool, and uh as everyone pointed out, the animation uh is pretty cool on the on the uh, social media where they have it you know the 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 magic mirror kind of coming in to do his little little talking thing, and uh, everyone's like that needs to be a hollow where like you know it has that effect a little, little bit
1: on it. So, that would be cool. That would be um, the coolest card ever. Uh, so,
2: without having been involved in TCGs much, uh, I mean, drawing, yes, seems very powerful because anytime you can try and get a card advantage, that's always a good thing to get more stuff into your hand. But also, spending four whatevers to get it uh, does seem uh, a bit expensive. So, yeah, basically, we're going to have to wait and see what the hexagons are how you get them how many you get and when you can spend them
1: right um and i've seen some people speculating as to whether an item has to be attached to a character or if it exists out in the field i'm of the opinion that it exists out in the field i think so too
2: um and this is uh one of only a few non-swirl cost cards uh, similar to Hades and uh, Dragonfire that don't have that ink swirl around them. And so now, you know, everyone is trying to figure out again what <laughs> it means that there is not a a swirl around there. Like, is it has something to do with there being two forms of resources, ink and the power of Warcana? Or is it, you know, a signifier of whether or not you can use it for a specific color or any color ink? Is it um, whether or not you can have only one in your deck or more than one? You know, there are so many different things because, of course, we don't know the rules. We don't know the gameplay. So we're basically just having to try and guess what it is and trying to infer things based on just little bits of, of information.
1: Yeah, it it's so confusing. Like, it it seems to make no rhyme or reason. It's really Hades that's throwing everything into question like if it was just Dragonfire and Magic Mirror, I, I could kind of make sense of that. But the fact that Hades doesn't have a flourish around it either—it's just right. so confusing.
2: Yeah, it's it's once they put a character along with the action, and now the item, like, well, that means anything. It's possible to have that, and why? Why?
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> right. But that's so... uh,
2: that's basically that's the majority of the news uh that we had
1: for this week. So it's really cool that we have item types that <clears throat> that's going to be new card types. So I do appreciate and you know when they did the Christmas reveal it was also a new card type. So right.
2: Maybe they're just every time they're actually doing an actual card reveal like this, it's a new card type cuz the Aurora card that we got at uh the the toy fair um, that one was an existing, like just a character. There was nothing really new about it. It had a new keyword, but it wasn't a new card type, but the ally was new. It's not an actual, uh, you know, hero or villain, you know, it's an ally. True. I mean, it's kind of, a, it's a character, but it's, you know, it was a little bit different. Um, but yeah, you know, like you said, the, the action and now the item. So next time they do a card reveal, maybe we'll get, what do you think? Songs? Are we going well, to get...
1: If it's tied to holidays, I'm just saying St. Patty's Day is coming up. I
2: said that's like a month away.
1: True. We don't want to wait a month. And with that, let's jump into our interview with Sugi from Lorcanacast. Cast. All right. Hey, welcome, welcome, everyone. Uh, today, I'd like to welcome on Sugi. Hey, Sugi.
3: Hey, how are you doing? How's it going?
1: It's, it's so good. I. It's been what since January that we've actually talked, so it's good to chat with you again.
3: Yeah, yeah, it's it's been a little bit, but uh, we're gonna have some fun, and then we're gonna we're gonna meet up at Gen Con and play some games, and eat some food. I'm I so excited! <laughs> if you're listening and you're gonna be at Gen Con, get ready to come join yes. us have some fun.
1: So I wanted to bring you on because on January 23rd that feels like forever ago, but when I say that, I'm like, that was just like almost three weeks ago, (laughs) but on January 23rd, I put a post on Twitter where I was asking people, I said, serious question. Those of you who are competitive card game players, what does it take to go from good to great? And I got some amazing responses from a lot of people, but the thing that stood out to me with your response is you laid out 11 key points about what it takes to, a great competitive player and today i just wanted to go over those and break those down
3: yeah yeah i think of all of the points we're going to talk about the most important thing is a competitive player has a mindset you go in you intend to be a strong player but you you craft that mental fort so as you play you're going to have wins you're going to have losses and the difference between a, a good or casual player and a great competitive player is absolutely the best players in the world are constantly learning and growing and flourishing from everything wins losses ties good plays bad plays they don't get down on themselves they don't beat themselves up they don't go well wow, that was that was a bad draw i didn't lose that game you you just drew better than i did or i just couldn't draw the right card You're con- you you take responsibility for what happens You understand that there's, you know, luck and probability and and player skill. But no matter what happens, you have that mindset of a winner. Always learning, always growing, always humble. And if you take that mindset and apply these 11 things I talked about, you will absolutely become an incredible player. The, The worst players in the world are the ones who think they're really good and tell everyone they're really good. They're generally mediocre to kind of mediocre at best because you're, you don't have that mindset. You're trying to, you know, buff yourself up and tell everyone I'm really, 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 really good. No, you're probably You're not really that, that good. It's, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah.
1: Uh, one of the things that has stood out to me was flake who is on Twitter under the handle, watch flake. And he does a podcast called Podcana Podcana. I can't say it right, but he says a loss is only a loss. If you're not learning. And between that and what you said, like that mindset, you have to go in believing that you're going to win. So that's important for me um, because in the past, I think I was just playing to play. So with that being said, let's jump into some of these points with point number one. I'm just going to read what you wrote and then we'll go from there. So point number one, learn your deck inside and out. Know every single card and the math of when you could pull that card at every possible moment. Knowing the math can help you determine if you should push the gas or pump the brakes. You have to know yourself before you can know your enemy.
3: Okay, so I'll, I'll preface this one with, uh, for those who may not know, my name is Sugiyama, so I'm, I'm Japanese, and I'm very much a big proponent and fan of, um, what's the word? This is probably more cultural than anything else, but just uh, understanding who you are and what you believe, your your reasons for knowing, knowing reasons for why you do things. Um, you know, I'm not going to get into like the thick of it, but, but basically the fundamental idea is I want to know about who I am so that I can help influence the world around me. And I believe that also uh, is relative with trading card games, strategy games, any kind of game, because this is a quote from Sun Tzu. You need, you need to know yourself before you can know your enemy. And so that, that predicated thought goes into, you need to know what's in your deck. So the reason why I say that is, Um, When you're playing at a high level, I've seen this happen a million times, you're playing a game, and your opponent has a board state, and I'll say, okay, pause, stop, you know, we're doing a training session, before, and we do anything else, what card in your deck can get you out of the situation? And the person playing goes, I don't know. Okay, well, or you've already lost at that point, because you don't know how to get out of this problem. You don't know what you need to draw, you don't know what you're looking for. You don't know how long you need to stall. You don't know how much mana or resources you need. You don't you don't know anything in order to win the game. So knowing your deck, knowing the cards in your deck, knowing your options, knowing your tools, will give you the best opportunity to win the game. It's it's basically like imagine your deck is a toolbox in real life and you've got a screwdriver, a wrench, pliers, so on and so forth. If you, for example, were like a contractor and you go to a house and someone goes, hey, I need you to, to build this house and build this wall, and you just grab a random box of crap, and you have no idea what tools are in your toolbox, and you show up, you're you're not going to have any idea how to do anything, because you're going to open that box and go, oh, well, I didn't know that was in there. I don't know what that is, and how does this work again? So that that kind of happens with trading card games. People just throw cards in their deck, they show up, they draw a card, and they go, I, I don't know what this does. Uh, hold on, give me a sec. And That is not the way to be a great player. You need to know what your cards say, how your cards interact. You need to know combos within your own deck. You need to know how many copies of a card you have. And you need to know the math of, okay, I've got 60 cards in my deck. I just drew seven cards. I've got four copies of this card I'm going to need to help, you know, accelerate my board state. You know, what are the chances of me drawing that in the next turn to to five turns or whatever? Like, you don't have to be a a physicist and know every single angle. It, It does help. But you need to have a basic understanding of what tools are in your toolbox so when you reach into that toolbox, you don't pull out, you know, a, a doohickey, and you're like, "Uh, what does this do? I don't know. What? Uh, hold on. Let me let me read the rules for this this doohickey and call over the judge. Hey, judge, how does this uh, doohickey majigama thing work? And uh, what, you know, you want to be the master of your deck. So that way, whatever you have in your hand, you know what it is, how it works, how to utilize it. And that's that's a really big important part of being a competitive player is basically not, not getting caught off guard when you draw a card out of your deck that you personally placed in said deck.
1: You know, when I played the card games, the My Hero Academia, when I'd go to tournaments, I used to hate the people that would go through their discard pile and look at everything that was in there. Um, because I thought, what does it matter? Like, it's not going to affect what cards you draw. But now, talking to you and... Uh, Learning from other people, I realize exactly what's going on. They're playing a different game than I'm playing.
3: Yeah, so you'll see in many, many trading card games, people asking to see your discard pile, your graveyard, whatever it's called, and then they'll go through theirs. Uh, They're counting cards, and this is completely illegal because if you are playing a deck that should have a similar list to what everyone else is playing... They know you're playing, for example, four copies of Elsa, four copies of Mickey, four copies of Maui, four copies of Jack Skellington. And they go through your discard pile and go, oh, hey, look, there's three copies of Mickey in here. Uh, So there's only one copy left, and then, you know, they'll count basically the cards in your discard pile. They'll count the cards in your hand. They'll subtract that from the cards in your deck, and they'll do a quick mathematical check of, okay, there's 15 cards in the discard pile, five cards in your hand. That's 20 cards. It's a 60-card deck. So that means there's one copy out of 40 cards left. And if that's the card you need to win, then the odds are pretty slim. So I can probably play something that will put some pressure on you. And if you don't have that Mickey, I'll win the game. So smart. <laughs> yeah, it's it's legal card counting. You can absolutely do it and not get thrown out.
1: <laughs> so I had a chance encounter with a gentleman who used to be the number three player in the world for the Star Wars Decipher card game. And that's exactly what he said. He said, you have to know your deck. And then not only that, you have to know all the other meta decks for exactly the same reason that you're talking about. A lot of the great players that I've watched since playing cards, as soon as they see that first card coming out, they pretty much know what deck you're playing.
3: Yeah, it's it's very important. But a lot of people get that reversed. They think they need to know every other deck, and then they'll figure their deck out. That is absolutely incorrect. You've got to know yours. That's why I put this number one. You have to yeah. know your deck. You have to know yourself before anything else. Because if you reverse it and you learn about everybody else, and then you learn about yourself, you're going to be weak, you're on, in, in the play space. You're going to know how every other deck functions, but you're not going to know how your deck functions within that space, how to counter them, how to outplay them. So you've got to know yourself. Because here's the other thing a lot of people don't think about. There's a lot of people that'll bring rogue decks that you've never seen before. And if your focus and your studies are on every other deck and not yours, the moment you encounter a rogue deck, you're going to have no idea how to pilot your deck to beat that. And so now you're lost because you're just kind of floating around going, well, I've never seen this deck and I've never seen anyone play it. And I don't know what these cards do. And so now you're trying to figure out what their deck does. You're trying to figure out what your deck does. You're trying to figure out what the interactions are. And your opponents, they're going to know what to do. And they're just going to run circles around you. And you're going to think, oh, I, I guess I just it's unbeatable. I don't know how to beat this deck. Well, no, that's not true. You just have no idea how to pilot your own deck. <laughs> and that's that's a critically bad thing. You you've gotta know you've gotta have like hundreds of reps with your deck over and over and over and over until yeah. you're just sick and tired of it.
1: Awesome. That's gold. So let's move on to point number two. You said be confident. Winning or losing, your body language is a resource. Top players can read your face, eyes, body language, and anything else you're willing to tell them. Don't say anything with your mouth or body. Be confident and play well. And this was a weakness of mine. I would always convey, you know, if somebody asked me, I'd be like, oh, yeah, I have so many copies in here. Whatever. Um, This is something that I definitely need to work on.
3: Yes. So we actually recorded a podcast episode about this topic alongside some other ones. Uh, You had actually brought up an idea about us explaining some of these points and then bringing our own to light. So we, we did it and we definitely gave you credit for that idea. Cause it was such a good idea. So that episode is coming out, I believe on like the 20th of February. So depending on when this comes out, and when that comes out, there'll be some overlap. Nice. but this was the, this is the biggest point I like talking about because number one is learn your deck. That's a huge one. Pretty much every single competitive player will tell you like, the first thing to do is learn your deck. The second thing really fluctuates between people and their personalities. But my big thing is playing confident and using bluffing and body language to win games. So the, the nuts and bolts about this post is most non-competitive players, most new players, have a really bad habit of giving away information with their body language. They'll draw a card... I'll start smiling. Oh, I got a good card. Yes, I'm going to do it. I've got the answer. Well, you just told me you you drew a really good card. You probably drew some kind of answer to what's going on. And that tells me if I were to play an extra character, an extra spell, or an extra whatever to help kind of push the gas to win the game, I'm going to kind of pull the, the foot off the pedal and slow down a little bit because your face just told me you've got something good. It's probably some way to deal with my board state. So I'm not going to commit more resources that you can get rid of. I'm going to just use what I have, let you destroy what's on the board, and then I'll just replenish it with what's in my hand. So, you know, that's that's bad. You've told me you've got a game plan, you've got ways to get rid of my threats, so I'm going to, you know, not commit any more resources. Or if you draw a card and you make this big franny face, oh, man, I, I hate this deck, I can never draw what I want. Oh, he didn't draw what he wanted. Guess I'm going to place some more resources and put some gas on the pedal and start, you know, crushing you into the dirt because you're your little frowny face going, oh, I didn't get anything. That, that tells me you drew nothing. And if you have, you know, two or three cards in your hand, you just drew nothing. That means a third of your hand is worthless. Great. That means you probably don't have enough resources to stop me. Maybe slow me down. But I can commit more resources to the game state and put you in a bad place. So you you want to you know sit erect you know don't slouch don't make a smiley face don't make a frowny face don't tilt your head because that tells me you're reading a card that may or may not mean it's so like i've seen this happen during um tournaments where a new set comes out someone pulls up a card and they they read it for like five to six minutes i'm like okay so that's clearly a new card from a new set based on their deck and the new cards in the new set, what is something that they probably need that they're going to need to read for a hot moment? And so I can just mentally go through the Rolodex of cards that have long flavor text or long rules text. So like, for example, if you drew Dragonfire, it says, you know, banish target creature. If you're looking at that card for like more than two seconds, you're you're definitely reading more than that line of text. So if you look at a card and it's from the new set and then you put it back in your hand, I have no idea what you read. But if you're looking at a card for like a minute, it's probably going to be something with like, you know, three to four sentences, and then I can take a guess based on the card pool, what it could be, and then I could use that information to try and guess what you have and what to play around. So again, everything you do with your face, with your time, with your reading, it's a a type of information that you're giving to your opponent. So if you don't play as a confident player, you're a new player, you're uncomfortable, you're nervous, you're sweating bullets you're going to give away tons of information with your eyes with your body language with all of your expressions that are going to tell me all kinds of things that you basically could have blurred out with your mouth i drew a good card cool i'm gonna slow down i drew a terrible card okay i'm gonna speed up i don't know what this card does hmm okay Uh, i guess (laughs) i'll try and confuse you some more by playing cards that don't make sense so you just kind of want to have this this poker face. You want to bluff. You want to be stone-faced. Like Don't be mean. Don't be rude. But if you draw a good card, no expression. If you draw a bad card, no expression. You draw the card. You look at it for a few seconds. You put it in your hand. You do the magic hand shuffle, and you continue to play. Don't let your opponent know anything whatsoever. And the second part of being confident is you can outplay your opponent by being confident and having a bad hand. I've done it a million times. I've seen a lot of competitive players do it. If you're confident and you play like you have every single answer all the time, your opponent has no idea what you actually have, and they have no idea what to play around, so you're forcing them to play the math. They have to play what the odds are, and they have to play what they guess are the most logical things that you as the opponent would have in their hand. And sometimes they'll make a mistake and you capitalize on it and you crush them into the dirt, you win the game, and you force them to make educated guesses that are incorrect because they don't know what you have because you're not telling them anything. And that's critically important as a competitive player to just be stone-faced, have confidence, have no information being garnered by anything you do or anything you say.
1: It's such a game within a game and listening to you talk. I feel like you're describing me as a player. So it's really putting on that stereotypical poker face. I don't know. Hearing you talk, it's, it's literally like you're playing a different game than the game that I was playing. So yeah, thank you for sharing that.
3: So this is probably the easiest thing to practice. You can do it with friends or you can do it in a mirror. Just, Draw cards, read the cards, and just, you know, practice making no face. Like, you know, it's, I think it's called RBF. Just practice, like, you know, you're, you've got the little kind of frowly scound. You don't move your mouth. If you look at professional players when they're playing trading card games, they, they generally don't talk that much. I, I should clarify, when you're looking at, like, the finals, like, the top cut, when you're, when you're watching, like, say, for example, a Yu-Gi-Oh! YCS, people are talking and chatting and having fun. But once you get to, like, that top four, the top two, like, the last people, they, like, they don't talk They'll smile and they'll nod and they'll clarify a card ability, but they're not going to have banter. They're not going to be laughing. They're not going to be giggling. They're like zoned in, focused on playing their game and not giving away anything whatsoever. It, It is a game inside of a game. And once you begin to practice that and become really good at it, you become a scary player just because you do nothing. And I know it sounds weird, but doing nothing can help you gain a massive amount of victories because your opponent cannot tell what is going on in your head. If you can block them out and have that mental fortitude by just being confident, it scares people because they're like, did they draw a good card? Did they draw a bad card? What are they gonna play? What are they gonna do? Because your face won't tell them anything. You're just drawing cards, playing cards, making plays, and forcing them to basically lose an, an accessible resource that some people are used to doing and used to having. Because when they play people who aren't competitive... You know, little Timmy, who draws a card... Uh, I can't play this card. Oh, well, I guess I'll put it in my hand. Okay, that you just told me you dead draw. Like, that card's worthless. Okay. And then mentally, I'm noting... Okay, if you've got four cards in your hand... And you drew a card, 20% of your hand is dead. So, I don't have to worry about that. And if you keep doing it over and over... Then that means your hand is getting worse and worse. Of course, again, you could lie and bluff... And counter bluff and all that stuff. But on average... 99.9% of the time when someone, you know, makes a face, generally it's genuine. So that's just something you yeah. have to practice. Just And, and again, like, I, I firmly believe in being honorable, being honest, being kind as a human being. But when you're playing a game, be stone-faced. Just poker face it up. Yep. Uh, don't don't wear glasses by the way people try and wear like reflective glasses I can see what's <laughs> in your hand don't do that please please it's not poker don't don't try and wear you know cool reflective goggles it doesn't work but I mean you know practice that that stone face that dead eye that RBF whatever you want to call it where you just don't give away anything because here's here's the other side I know this, we're getting really deep into this one um, your eyeballs your eyes the windows to the soul your eyes can also give away that you have something good I've seen people who have stone face face. Their face doesn't do anything, but they'll pick up a card and the eyes will kind of like twinkle like, ooh, like, you know, their, their eyes will actually like open up a little bit. And that tells me the exact same thing. You drew a good card. So you, you have to practice drawing good cards, drawing bad cards, just drawing cards. Don't use your eyes. Don't use your mouth. Don't make any muscular flexes in your face. Just draw the card and go, okay, cool.
1: Point number three, everything is a resource. Cards, life, lore, attitude, body language, etc. Learn how to manage all those items. You never lose until you have zero life or whatever Wing Con is in Lorcana. Don't be afraid to spend or lose resources now to win the game.
3: Okay, so this is a super duper easy one and I'm not going to have to talk about it very much because the, this post kind of explains itself. Everything is a resource. Newer players are scared to lose life. They're scared to lose creatures. They're scared to play cards because they think... If I lose a card, I'll lose the game. Not true. Everything is a resource. We, we don't know currently at the time of this recording how to win Lorcana, but let's just say for the sake of this explanation that you have 20 life or 20 lore points or whatever you want to call it, and if your life or lore points are depleted, you lose the game. So a lot of people think, oh, I, I took a hit. I lost four life. I'm losing the game. Oh, my gosh. No, it's terrible. You're not going to lose the game until you have zero life. So you have, essentially, in this example, 19 points of life or lore, or whatever you want to call it, to play with. There's cards that say, you know, deal two damage to yourself, draw cards, or, you know, deal four damage to yourself and destroy opponents, creatures, or whatever. There's a bunch of cards and mechanics in games that hurt you, but give you a massive benefit. And a lot of people think, oh, these, these cards are terrible. Why would, I, why would I hurt myself in order to gain some kind of special effect? And the reason is... Everything is a resource. So sometimes it's like playing chess. You have to make a sacrificial play to get rid of a pawn in order to make room for yourself to win the game in the long run. So the the easiest point on all this list for new players is... Don't be afraid. Fear will curl you up into a ball and make you a much worse player. Because if you're afraid to spend a card, if you're afraid to lose life, if you're afraid to do X, Y, or Z, you'll never be able to reach out and grow and flourish as a great player. Those life points, although mechanically are supposed to be precious and valuable, realistically don't matter. Until you go to zero, 19 of those life points are... Expendable. You can use them for whatever you want. You can let your opponent take them away. You can spend them using card effects. I mean, you could, you know, sell them to the black market. It it really doesn't matter. You've got resources available to you. So once you see that cards are resources, your life points are resources, your discard pile is a resource, your body language is a resource, everything when you're playing the game is a fluid resource. Think of it like money. Everything is a dollar, a penny, a nickel, a dime. How do you want to spend it? Until you're out of money, you are a player in the game. Once you run out of money, you, you're unable to do anything because you're out of money. So as long as you have one penny left in your pocket, you can continue participating in Lorcana. So don't be afraid to spend everything you need to win a game.
1: Point number four. Knowledge is power. The more you know, the better you will do. Once you know yourself, then you can know your enemy learn meta decks, meta combos, learn what all the cards will do, play against bad matchups, see what happens when you have a bad draw, read, study, learn, and network. And we kind of talked about this one in point one when we're talking about learning the deck, but there are some things in here that stand out, especially at the end where you're talking about play against bad matchups, Uh, see what happens when you have a bad draw, read, study, learn, and network. And That's something I'm coming to learn, too. If you have a network of good players that you play with consistently, that's going to elevate your gameplay.
3: Oh, yeah. Never be the smartest person in the room, unless you just have to. Uh, I learned that many, many, many years ago. You always want people in the same room as you to be smarter, because that way you can learn from them. So this is a really interesting point. This is kind of the opposite side of the same coin as point number one, knowing the deck and that's why I reference you know, the more you know yourself, the more you can know your enemy. Again, Sun Tzu. So when you learn your deck, you become a good player. When you learn your deck and you learn all the other decks around you in the meta, that's when you become a great player because you know what your deck does and you know what their deck does. And it's exactly like what you were saying. Once your opponent plays a card or two, you know, oh, hey, I'm going to be playing against this Aladdin aggro deck. Or, oh, hey, I'm playing against this Princess Elsa control deck. Or, hey, I'm playing against simba and friends zoo or whatever the decks turn out to be i'm using arbitrary titles but if you go into a matchup and you know what the top you know let's just say four or five decks are and your opponent plays a card from one of those decks you know what you're about to get into so that way you know what board state you're going to see from them you know how to counter on your end you know what kind of removal spells combat tricks special abilities all these things are happening the the main point is knowledge is power you don't want to get caught with your pants down you don't want to walk around in your underwear going uh yeah i don't know what i'm doing and i don't know what they're doing Uh uh-oh and that's that's what happens to a lot of people is they they show up and their opponent plays all these cards and like wait wait wait, hold on hold on hold on one second and they have to read through you know this five card combo and the opponent legally played everything correctly But you, unfortunately, not having done your research on what's going on, you didn't quite understand that, you know, Simba can search out a, you know, a a Mufasa who then allows you to draw two cards and then you discard a card. But then you played a card that allows you to pull that card out of your discard pile onto the, the field for free. And so now you basically reanimated a Scar and, you know... You're just sitting there going, wait, what? I thought you just played a Simba. Yeah, yeah, but Simba searches Mufasa, who allows me to discard Scar, but then this card allows me to reanimate Scar. And Scar allows me to go hunt for three different jackals. And then I can play Zazu, and you're like, uh uh, Judge. So yeah, you don't want to get caught with your pants down. You want to know what your deck does. You want to know what their deck does, and you want to know how those two decks kind of intertwine. How do you beat your opponent's deck? How do you defend from your opponent's strategy? How can you circumnavigate their tricks? So on and so forth. Um, the second half of this post, play against bad matchups. A lot of people, when they're testing, play against matchups they're comfortable with. That's important. What's more important is playing against matchups you're not comfortable with, because that makes you a great player. If you play against decks you're afraid of, decks that you have a bad matchup against, players you have a bad matchup against, losing is not a bad thing as long as you have the attitude of, I'm going to learn from this game. If you just go into a game, get your butt kicked, and cry and complain and go, oh, they're just better than me, I'll never beat them, you basically wasted your time, because you didn't come away gleaning anything from that game, you're just making excuses. So you want to play against bad matchups consistently, learn how to beat bad matchups, and then they'll turn into regular matchups, and you'll become a stronger player. Uh, The next one says, see what happens when you have a bad draw. So once you've gotten comfortable with your deck... Then you've got comfortable with metadex. Then you've got comfortable playing bad matchups. Something I like to do is let the opponent pick your opening hand and have them give you the worst possible hand and see what happens. Can you play out of it? What can you do? What are your options? How do you get out of this scenario? Because it, it doesn't happen frequently, but when it does happen, if you've got experience... You'll have the the tools you need to kind of figure ways out of a bad situation. If you don't practice having a bad hand and you draw it in a tournament, you've probably just lost because you have no idea what to do. You're just going to be guessing. Also, you're going to be under pressure. You're probably going to be tired. You're probably going to be, you know, slightly dehydrated. And your blood sugar's going to be low, and you're in all of these really terrible scenarios. So you're you're setting yourself up for success by practicing a really bad situation in the comfort of your own home where you know, you're know you not in a major tournament and you're not sleep-deprived and all those things I mentioned. Now, you don't need to do that hundreds of times, but you probably want to practice bad draws and good draws every so often. So like I said, sometimes I'll let the opponent pick the cards out of my deck for my opening hand. And then sometimes we'll play a game where I'll pick my first, you know, whatever, let's just say seven cards. That's kind of a standard for most trading card games. So I'll pick the first seven cards I want to see. And sometimes I'll realize those are not the best seven cards I could have drawn. That begins to make me a better player because now I'm starting to figure out what are the best cards I could potentially draw at the start of a game. And what happens is the more you play those scenarios out, the more you begin to see those lines of play that we were talking about with point one, learning your deck, learning yourself. And so as you play games, if you know, hey, these are the best seven cards in my deck to open with, and you're at a tournament and you draw four of those cards, you've got the experience and knowledge to go, okay, I know what I can do with these four cards to get the most efficiency out of my deck to get the strongest board state I need early game. So yeah, knowledge is power. The more you know about yourself, the more you know about your opponent, the more you know about good matchups, the more you know about bad matchups, the more you know about good opening hands, bad opening hands. It just kind of comes together to make you a well-rounded, knowledgeable player.
1: Hearing you talk again, I can see a lot of myself in those bad examples that you were giving. Point number five is to be patient. The best players in the world take time to think winners think three to five turns ahead take a beat breathe do the math in your head be willing to step back and ponder what you need to do versus what the opponent might do I struggled with this one too I am I was one of those kids in school when there was a test I was the first one done I'd have it done in you know five to ten minutes and my classmates would take an hour you know so when I'm playing card games I'm the same way as soon as they're done playing I know exactly what I, what I want to do and I play it but that doesn't necessarily mean it's the right move
3: yeah so when you go to a tournament there are different lengths of time for your match so for example if you're playing a best of one we'll go with like pokemon i think you get 35 minutes for a best of one but if you're playing best of three you get 90 minutes so on and so forth. Magic, Yu-Gi-Oh! Pokemon, I'm sure Lorcana, they'll have a time frame and a best of whatever, be it one, best of three, so on and so forth. So that time frame goes back to point three. Everything is a resource. The time in the round is a part of your resource management. So a lot of people, like yourself, are under pressure. We have to play. We gotta play, 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 play. And when you when you put that arbitrary pressure on yourself. You facilitate mistakes because you're you're just arbitrarily telling yourself, "Well, I got to play as fast as I can. I got to do as much as I can. I got to go, 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 go." All of the great players you'll ever meet are going to play as well as they can and as fast as they can. They're not going to slow play, but you need to be willing to take a break and like pause. If you have a you know bottle of water, take a take a swig. You know, again, don't slow play. Slow playing's bad. But sometimes you need to just take a step back, remove yourself from the equation, think about what's happening. You know, hey, they just played a Maleficent and blew up my my Mickey. Why? He wasn't doing anything. I can't win here. What are they trying to do? Are they trying to bait out a removal spell? Are they trying to get me to overcommit and play another big creature? I wonder if they're trying to maybe get me to play a big creature because they have a removal spell. What is the game state right now? What should it look like next turn? How can I win in this scenario? You're you're just kind of thinking about a lot of different possibilities because if you're just Mm -hmm. playing straight aggro, straight throw cards on the table, you're not going to think about that. You're just going to slap down a giant creature and try and, you know, banish their Maleficent, and then they're going to go, cool, that's what I was figuring. You have a bigger creature but I've got this removal spell for three mana. Oh, man. You just paid nine mana for a big creature that didn't do anything. That feels terrible. It was a trap. So, yeah, being being patient, taking a breath, postulating, pondering, getting some water. I mean, you know, you always need to feel free. A lot of people, when they're playing in tournaments and games, feel like they're in this prison. They feel like... They have to do these things in their head. And what's really interesting is if you sit down and ask the person, who told you you have to do these things? No one did. They they told themselves they had to do this thing. So they they put themselves in this box of, I got to play fast, and I got to play this, and I got to do that. And when you actually sit down and kind of deconstruct all of those things you told yourself, none of those things are necessarily tournament regulations or tournament rules. You just applied a bunch of arbitrary stipulations that aren't necessarily helpful. And usually for no reason, usually it's out of, you know, inexperience or excitement or fear, nervousness. So yeah, sometimes you just have to be patient, take a breather, you know, and I'm not even kidding. Just literally breathe deeply. Just go, (sighs) you know, let the, let the fear sift out of your brain and then get back to the game in a much healthier state of mind.
1: Being patient is definitely something I'm going to work on. And it goes back to some of the, some of these other points you mentioned about knowing the meta, knowing your lines, playing to your outs. Uh, when you know those things, I think that's why I played so fast is because I wasn't aware of those things. So I was just playing what looked good in that moment versus uh, what was good in relation to the meta and that situation what i had in my hand what the opponent was playing i was just playing what was good
3: right then and there Mm -hmm. sometimes you have to do that generally you're you're setting up so like i said in that point you're generally thinking multiple turns in advance sometimes you have to mix things up so the best players in the world want to lead the dance Anytime you play a game, board game, trading card game, video game, essentially it's a dance between two entities, not necessarily two players. In trading card games, it's definitely two players. But like if you're thinking about uh, Call of Duty, it's it's two teams. So someone is the leader and someone is the follower. That's just how it is. The great players want to lead you into traps, crush you into the dirt, and then win. So sometimes by being patient and taking a breath, you stop them from leading the dance and you set it to a net neutral of now there is no leader. And if you're starting to practice becoming a great player, you're going to have to, this is probably, this is a twelfth point secret point, but you're going to have to (laughs) learn how to lead the dance. And sometimes if your opponent is leading and you feel like you're losing control, the best thing isn't trying to challenge the authority of the leader, the best thing to do is remove yourself from the dance entirely you just step back and you take a break and this is something i've done it's it's called you know in i think it's football you know you're icing the kicker um, but sometimes when you're in that that heat of the moment and you're both playing really well and things are really tense and they're just in the mood and their brain is firing on all cylinders sometimes the, the weirdest thing to do to throw them off is actually slow the game down take a break go to the bathroom get a water bottle and take a swig. You know, you are depending on the tournament, you are allowed to take potty breaks. And sometimes I do need to go to the bathroom. And when we're in this heat of the moment, I'll be like, judge, I need a time extension. I need to, you know, go potty. Like, okay, cool. Part of it is I need to go to the bathroom because I'm a human being. But part of it is I'm trying to ice the player and slow them down because I know for a fact, they're starting to take the lead and I don't want that to happen. Uh, Legitimately, though, I I do need to go to the bathroom, but sometimes like your body functions will tell you, hey, let's go to the bathroom. And you're you're in that moment of, oh, hey, this is a great moment to just slow things down, take a break and kind of reset the dance so that we got to kind of figure out who's in control now. So, yeah, use another
1: resource in your resource management.
3: Yeah, going potty. Absolutely.
1: (laughs) All right. Let's go on to point number six. Network. Talk to people better and wiser than you. Never think you know it all. You don't. Play as much as you can. Play with people better than you. Learn and grow. Be willing to take losses and learn how to improve. I will say that's one thing that I've loved about Discord and Twitter is I'm getting to know... I mean, the game's not out yet, so we don't know who the great players are, but I'm getting to know people like you and other people who are, have been good in other games, and it makes me excited that I can tap you for your knowledge and get your feedback on how's my game play? What do you think about this?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Like I said earlier, never be the smartest person in the room as as much as possible. Networking is critical to success. You want to know people smarter than you. You want to know people who have played more than you. You want to know people that that's why I love talking to developers and designers. Developers and designers will tell you like Ryan Miller and Steve Warner will tell you they are not the best players in the world. Absolutely not most of us who are in the competitive scene are the better players. However, I know for a fact that those two know more about the insides and outsides of Lorcana than any of us do. So, although they may not necessarily be the best players in the world, they are the most knowledgeable designers and people in the world in order to kick around ideas of what is this card supposed to do and what is the intention of this, you know, themed deck and so on and so forth. So. It's more than just having people who know more than you and are better than you. It's about having the right people in the right place, because you can have someone who's like a great magic player come in and explain to you like math and ratios and strategy and all that stuff. Uh, but if it doesn't translate to Lorcana, that's not really helpful. So mm-hmm. you, you want to make sure that not only do you have the right people, but they're in the right place that's kind of important because I've seen a lot of people talking to, you know, professional magic players and Flesh and blood players and Yu-Gi-Oh! Players. and like, that's all good, but none of us know how, how Lorcana works. So unfortunately at, at the current moment, all of those tips are just kind of nebulous right now. Like they may work. They may not work. Like we just don't know. But if you want to be a great player, you need to network with the great players and also just be careful of clicks. There's going to be people who think that they're a great player. Again, there's going to be people who are good and they're cocky and they're mean and they're rude and they want fame and fortune and attention. So like, I, you can admit that, yes, they're really good players, but they don't necessarily care about you and they don't necessarily care about the game and they're not really going to help strengthen your network. They're just, I don't know, they're, they're kind of just r- jerks. I guess that's like the nicest way to put it. So like you want to network with the right people who are, good at the game, they want to help you improve, they want to see you do well. They're not trying to use you to help facilitate their own fame and fortune. Um and you know, asking questions is so important. Ask questions across the board. There's no stupid questions realistically unless you're asking like, you know, how to I don't know eat plastic miniatures safely that's kind of a weird question <laughs> but like you know a lot of people are like oh I have, I have a stupid question and then it's you know a very legitimate question I'm like that's that's not stupid at all don't don't feel like you're stupid for asking questions the the i ask questions all the time and I, I believe that i'm a very competent and strong player i think the curious players and the people who are willing to be brave enough to ask questions are the best players in the world. There's no bad questions as long as you're trying to learn and grow. If you're going to ask someone how babies are made, that's not the brightest question in the world regarding Lorcana, nor is it really appropriate. But you know, jokes aside, you get what I'm trying to say. So yeah, networking helps grow you, and it it brings you closer to fellow players, which allows you to grow, it allows them to grow, and it brings a, a community together. And that's kind of the big thing that's important with networking. If if I stay over in my little corner, you stay in your little corner, and we just play games by ourselves, eh, that's not as much fun as, hey, let's play some games online, or let's play some games with Gen Con and let's talk about strategy and let's talk about deck construction. Let's talk about all these things. Now we're having fun and we're growing and we're networking and all these things are happening together and we're all becoming better players at the same time. Super cool.
1: I'm excited. This is a new aspect of the game for me. So I'm excited for the networking. Mm-hmm Okay, point number seven, be willing to fail. The best players in the world usually have more losses than you do. Winning nonstop doesn't teach you anything. Try new things, try new cards, try new decks. Never be afraid to fail. Failure is the greatest teacher. Amen.
3: (laughs) So this this is, again, going back to that mindset that we talked about, the very, 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 very beginning. So if you win 100% of your games, you didn't learn anything you just won 100% of your games. You didn't learn what to do, what not to do, what cards work, what cards don't work. You just won every single game. And if that's you and you're never going to be defeated and you're the best player in the world, then by golly, don't listen to this podcast. But if you're a regular human (laughs) being and you're trying to improve your game and you're trying to become a better player, then failure is actually a fantastic teacher because when you lose a game... You didn't do something right. Now, I'm going to clarify that statement. You may have played the very best you could, and your opponent played better than you, and they did maybe draw better than you. So there are some times where you didn't do anything wrong. But most of the time, nine times out of ten, when you lose a game, there was something you could have done better. So when you have the mindset of, I'm going to be an exceptional player, failure is your greatest teacher because you can go back. And especially with that person, if they're there as a training buddy, you should go back and look at your, you know, mistake and talk it out amongst yourselves and go, you know what? I was thinking about playing this Elsa and exerting your Maleficent. But I, I figured that maybe playing this Aurora was better because I wanted to give ward to my characters. But now I realize I, I probably shouldn't have done that. So, Okay. Let's, let's re-rack that game and play again. And now you've learned in that specific scenario where you have those two options between you know, an Elsa and Aurora, try the Elsa. See what happens. Um, there's times where you definitely will know exactly what you did wrong, and you realize that your misplay cost you the game. And so you have to mentally take that note and say, all right, if we come back to that scenario again in a future game, I know what to do. I also know what not to do. Um, another thing that happens is a lot of people, most humans, just as they are, don't like to lose, don't like to fail. You're going to have okay. to get rid of that mindset that failure is a bad thing. For some reason in culture, we're just trained that if you fail and you, you mess up, you're a failure and it reflects on you. And that is, that is absolutely not true. Like You're playing a game, playing to have fun. And in order to be the best player in the world, or one of the best players in the world, you're going to take L's. If you think about um, another sports analogy, I think I'm not a sports person. I just know analogies because I like them, <laughs> but I believe if I'm not mistaken that Babe Ruth, one of the greatest home run hitters in the world also had the most strikeouts because all he did was just swing like a crazy person. He swung at everything because he knew that eventually he's going to swing. He's going to hit, he's going to connect and he's going to get a home run. So if you look at his statistics, like mathematically, they're kind of abysmal because he struck out an insane amount of times. But guess what? We don't remember him for his strikeouts. We remember him for his massive amount of home runs. So you have to apply that kind of philosophy to trading card games. You're going to fail. You're going to fail. Like just, just write that down on your arm, on your underwear, on your headboard. You are going to fail. Everybody fails. Just, that's how it is but if you're willing to take those losses and those failures and learn from them and grow from them and improve from them then shift that philosophy to every fail is one step closer to a win instead of every fail i'm just a worse player i'm terrible oh my gosh i'm just never gonna get this no no you're just one step closer to being the greatest of all time that's all it is
1: well and i think it's important to say clearly that uh when you fail you are only going to learn if you take a moment to reflect on it. I've, I mean, I played Hearthstone in the past and I've seen people and they just grind one game to the next. And if you don't take the moment to reflect on why you lost and how you can do better, then failure is not going to be a teacher for you.
3: Right. And that, that's what's so important about being an exceptional player is that philosophy right there? A lot of this comes down to personal philosophy and mindsets. You have to be willing to adjust to the philosophy and mindset of a great player. Because if you don't, you're gonna go into this thinking, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna fail a lot. No, that's that's not how that goes. Or you're gonna go into this going, I'm gonna win a lot. No, that's that's also not how this goes. Like you have to pull from whatever thing is available to teach you. And especially when you're playing like this kind of goes back to the networking. If you're going to network with better players, that also means you're going to be playing and testing against other players, which means you're probably going to lose a little bit more than you win. And if you go in with that mindset of, I'm going to use failing and lo- losses to become better, then you're not going to get discouraged. But if you network and you don't have this kind of philosophy that you're going to play games against people better than you, you're going to lose and you're going to get turned off really fast because you're not winning and you're not the best person in the room. You're not the best person at your little game store. And it's like, why am I losing? Well, you're, you're playing against people better than you to become better. That's the whole process. Well, I'm, I'm the best player yep. here in my local town. So I, I just don't like this. I'm going to quit. Well, okay. Unfortunately, that's your plateau because if you're the best person at your little game store and you're the best person in your friend group and you're not practicing trying to become better, That's as far as you're gonna go. And it's really sad that some people cap themselves right there and they're not willing to go further and accept that there are people better than them and improve as they go. So it's, again, goes back to philosophy and mindset. You have to know what you're getting into to become better.
1: Well, that's a perfect segue into point number eight. Point number eight says, practice. Play your deck 50 times. Play the meta decks 50 times. Play, 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 play. The best players in the world know the cards the decks the combos everything play as much as you can handle before not having fun practice makes perfect
3: yeah this is really simple this is just a reinforcement of point four knowledge is power you gotta play you can study as much as you want you can theorize as much as you want you can watch youtube videos as much as you want but if you don't play those decks a hundred times you're just gonna be a theory master and although the knowledge is good application is better <laughs> Uh, I've seen people, I've seen people come to tournaments. I've, I've run them. I literally had this happen at a magic tournament. I know, no joke guy sits down across from me, starts shuffling. Um, we play like the first two turns and he's like, I've got a 62% chance of beating you. I was like, okay, what's that predicated on? He goes, well, I've run this matchup a hundred times in my, um, my deck generator and I've got the edge to beat you. I was like, okay, I, proceeded to very easily beat this guy. And he was like, I just don't get it. My my and I am I'm not making this up. I am seriously this happened at a Friday Night Magic. And this guy's like, I I just I ran the math. I shouldn't this should be the most perfect deck. I should be able to win everything. I was like, well, you know, um I don't want to be rude, but numbers in theory are great on paper, but if you have no idea how to apply them and how to read opponents, and how to deal with humanity, which is not accounted for in those numbers you just crunched, you're never going to win a game. And he was like, oh, I didn't account for that! Oh my god! He he was running, he was very very much a logical numbers person. And I was like, you know... Rewrite the algorithm. I was like, yeah, your algorithm didn't account for humanity. Also, I'm a really good liar, and, you know, he's... (laughs) You know, he's he's asking me, he's like, do you have this card to counter me? I'm like, yes! Okay, well then, you know, of course, I don't have that card, and so he's taking what I said and making completely different decisions. I'm like half the time you ask me questions. I just lied to you. He goes, why would you do that? I was like, because it's a game and I don't know you. Anything goes, I I, I guess you're right. I didn't think about that. I was like, "Uh, um, (laughs) bro. (laughs) So yeah. Yeah. Theory. Theory is great. Practice is king. Practice, practice, practice.
1: Point number nine, take breaks, do something non Disney or TCG related. Refresh your gaming palette. So you don't go crazy or burn out. Having fun is important. If you're not having fun, then you're just on the job and not getting paid. Take a few days and take care of yourself.
3: Okay, this one I think is pretty self-explanatory. If you're going to be a very, 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 very competitive player, you're going to, unfortunately, and this this will turn a lot of people off and that's fine, but the best players in the world basically live and breathe that game. They have family time, work time, and then Lorcana time and that's kind of it. You don't... Watch sports events, you don't paint miniatures, you don't go to cookouts, you live it, you breathe it, you talk it, you sleep it, you poop it, You however you want to think about it, it is your life. A lot of people, once they're in that life, don't take breaks and they burn out. They, they overcommit to the game. So something every person has to do is take a break. Do something that you love that is not Lorcan related. Take a couple days off. It's mental health. It's just, it's just taking care of yourself. Whatever works best for you. If you need an ice cream, if you need a massage, if you need I don't know, go hunting, maybe watch the Super Bowl. You know, whatever you need, turn it off, put it in the corner, lock it away, don't interact with it for a couple days. Come back to it when you're happy. That's the big thing. Lorcana is a hobby, and unless you work for Ravensburger, or you're sponsored by some company, it's, like I said, you're basically working for free and not getting paid. That sucks. Like, we all have jobs, and we get paid for it. That's good. But if you're going to spend, you know, eight to ten hours a day on Larkana, and you're not getting paid, like, you know, it's a hobby. Do something else. Take care of yourself. Take a break. Just, you know, whatever works best for you. Some people can, you know, write a note down, like, you know, track your time, or, you know, schedule it on your phone, or whatever you need to do, just make sure you're taking care of yourself because some people just get way too deep in the sticks. And then three months later, they're like, I'm sick and tired of this game. Why? I've, I've been playing, I've played a hundred games a day for the past three weeks. Oh my God. Have you done anything else? No. Okay. Maybe, maybe we're, uh, we're going to need to like pull you back, watch some Netflix, you know, watch some Harry Potter or some Lord of the Rings or, you know, go get something to drink and let's try something different. (laughs) So, yeah, I think, I think the most important thing, have fun. If you're not having fun, stop, do something else, come back later.
1: (laughs) And so this is point number 10. And I will say among the great players that I've talked to, I've definitely seen this to be the case. Be humble. Many players can be good, but cocky and arrogant. The best players in the world are humble. They listen, they are teachable, and they can grow. Humility is a part of being the best in the world. Always be open to change and growth, and you will be one of the best. And these guys in the My Hero Academia world that were like among the best, we have some of the best players here in Las Vegas, and they go to my locals' games, and they're just so chill. And (laughs) they don't, like, they're always encouraging you and giving you pointers they're not trying to you know keep you down to raise themselves up they're trying to elevate you um and and that humility is just something that i've seen interacting with the people who are really good
3: yeah this is something that not a lot of people talk about it's very commonplace in media to see the quote-unquote best players in the world and they're these really brash cocky you know booty holes and people just think that in order to be the best player in the world you have to be a giant tool and secretly behind the scenes the best players in the world are actually exactly what you just said they're they're humble they're kind they want to build you up they want to encourage you they want you to grow they want you to become a better player and that is very much the opposite of what you see on the forefront of trading card games you see these people who are you know super cocky and they're they're winning events and now you got to pay them on patreon to find out what their deck was and they'll tell you how to play in their game and you know these people don't care about you they want to take your money they just want to and of course usually usually the content they put out is very very minimal at best they they put a picture up of their deck and they tell you like two or three things how to play the the deck and most people in your locals already know that but they want to charge you like 20 bucks to find out it's like Yeah, that's gross. So, yeah, if you want to be the best player in the world, you have to get out of your own way and you have to be humble because, again, there's always someone in the room who's better than you. And that's the thing. Half the time when I'm playing magic with other people, I don't tell them that I can beat them. I don't need to prove myself. I don't need to, like, you know, boast that, oh, I'm better than you. I've been doing this for 20 plus years. I don't, it doesn't matter. Like, if you want to play a game with me, I'll play a game with you. But when people are running around going, oh, I'm the best player in the room, like, yeah, I know like five other guys outside of myself who will like they'll they'll wipe the floor with you, and none of us need to like step up and say anything. We'll just wait for that person to come up and be like, "Hey, let's play a game. I can beat you." Okay, cool, and we'll play a game and we'll defeat them, and they'll be like, "Oh my gosh, how do you do that?" Oh, I don't, I've just been playing a long time. Must and, have been luck. Yeah, I guess I drew better than you. Ha, ha, I don't know. So, your your humility is a very very important part of your capacity to grow the more humble you are the better you will be because the ability to learn and listen and be teachable is so valuable I cannot express how valuable it is to be willing to let someone smarter than you teach you how to become better and then grow from that if you're just this cocky arrogant player you'll you'll get to a plateau you'll be good but you won't be great and that's the big thing you are asking about is how do I become a great player? Ah, I know the answer to this one. Be humble. How do I become a good player? Be really loud and obnoxious. And like, you'll be good. You'll, you'll get real good. I, I promise you'll get good. But if you want to be a part of the secret society of greatest players in the room, you gotta be humble. That's, that's a big one.
1: Point number 11. We've arrived at the end last, but not least no rules and rulings. Knowing how a card interaction resolves can be the difference between winning a tournament and getting outplayed. Know as much as you can about as much as you can. Information is power. Use it to your advantage. And Sugi, you're going to laugh at me, but when I would go to card game tournaments and a player played a card that I didn't know, I just assumed that they were playing it correctly.
0: Oh, (laughs) no.
3: So we make this joke on the podcast all the time, and if you're a Yu-Gi-Oh! player, you've heard this a million times, but guess what? Yu-Gi-Oh! players can't read. (laughs) We just can't read. We have no idea what we're doing. We play cards, and we just make up rules as we go. And although the joke is funny, I think Yu-Gi-Oh! is actually the best example for this point because Yu-Gi-Oh! is not a trading card game. No, no, no. Ladies and gentlemen, it is not a trading card game. It is a grammatical check on your knowledge of the English language and how periods, commas, apostrophes, and colons work, and that's very obnoxious. <laughs> but but all jokes aside, Yu-Gi-Oh! is one of the most complex games because they use keywords like and, or, then, before, stuff like that. So if you aren't actually reading the card, you'll try and do things that can't actually happen so for example like in Yu-Gi-Oh terms there will be a card that says uh, if you play this Mickey you can draw a card and you can discard a card from your hand so most people will say oh I can do both I can do one or two or you know you, you actually need to draw a card and you may choose to discard a card. Whereas some people will say, oh, I I have to do both of those things. Well, it doesn't say you have to do both. It says you can draw a card and you can't. So like, you know, when words say, when a card says you, you may, or you can do a thing, most people just don't read that part. And they assume you have to do what it says. So like reading cards explains the card. Very important. I know it sounds funny, but it's, it's a trading card game thing. You know, RTFC, read the flipping card. Um, i don't i don't know what it is i mean like i've i'm guilty of this i've read cards in my brain and i'm like this is what my brain says it does i'll play the card and what i tried to do is not what the card actually said and you know it happens we all make mistakes so yeah (laughs) read read your cards um but point 11 is the most interesting point because you can know all the other 10 points you could be humble have a great network know your deck know your opponent's deck Um, But you can get stat checked at a tournament based off of a ruling that you didn't know about and lose a game because you didn't know about that ruling. So knowing how cards interact and knowing your FAQs, knowing your erratas, knowing your floor judge rules, all of those things are critically important because these are the super tiny minutiae. That catch play good players off guard, and point eleven is one hundred percent the scale that tips good from great. Great players know the interactions and rulings of all of the cards to the best of their ability. No one is a human computer, so every, again, everybody makes mistakes, but to the best of your ability, you want to know how does the you know brave little Taylor Mickey that has evasive work with, say, you know, the blue Maleficent card gets rid of keywords. So it says on his card he has evasive, but if Maleficent is on the board, he doesn't have evasive. But then if you play this, you know, equipment spell that gives him evasive, does he actually have evasive? What is the ruling? You need to know that so you know how to utilize that scenario to the best of your ability. Because I guarantee you something's going to happen somewhere at a tournament where there's going to be some kind of weird ruling that nobody knows about. And once it's ruled by the the floor judge, that ruling is going to be the industry standard for, you know, locals and tournaments and all that other stuff. And if you don't know what that is, you're going to get caught with your pants down and go, wait, I didn't hear about that. Oh, yeah, it happened at, uh, you know, Gen Con last year. This was the ruling from such and such. Oh, Oh, oh i didn't know that yeah sorry man but unfortunately you know you're gonna lose the game because you didn't know that you got stat checked my bad you know sorry dude that that's a really feel bad moment that you played the best you mm-hmm. did you gave it everything you got and you you lost to a rule that you didn't know about and it yeah. happened it happens to everybody it's going to happen to you it's going to happen to me but to the best of your ability try to stay ahead of that curve rather than find out in the middle of a tournament and go, "Uh uh-oh, whoops.
1: (laughs) Okay, so let me wrap this up with another question to you, Sugi. So everything that you've talked about, it sounds like it's a lot of work, and you've made that very clear that there's work, there's family, and there's Lorcanna. Um, You have to know your deck, you have to know the meta, you have to know the matchups. You have to know uh, how your deck plays if you draw a bad hand. You have to know the rules. You have to know, know the rulings. With all that being said, knowing it at that level, how fun does that make the game? Like, what level does that take your enjoyment of the game versus just playing it to play?
3: That is a fantastic question, and I'm really glad you brought that up. So this is a spectrum that is different for every single individual. Some people will listen to this episode or listen to these tidbits and go, I hate everything you just said. Perfect. That's great. Then you know that you are not going to want to be a competitive player. So play for fun. Some people are going to listen to what I said and get really thirsty and excited. And go, and That's what I want. Okay. For those people, that is your level of fun. So each individual person is going to look at anything in life. So Lorkana, for example, and there's going to be a spectrum of I can play it casually with my friends or my wife or my kids or my partner or whoever, my friends at the local game store, and that is the experience I want. Perfect. There's going to be people who want to play at regional levels, and they want to compete and they want to win prize support. That's fun for you. There's people like me who, for fun, I want to play the very best I can at the highest level I can. Now, whether I win or lose, that's not super critical. I would like to win, but I'm not driven to win. Like, I don't have to be the best player in the world, but I want to be at the table with the best players in the world to have that conversation. So I'm driven to know as much as I can and play the best I can. And for you, Jared, it's going to be a completely unique answer as well. And so that is something each person has to sit down and on their own, own lorcana journey determine where do you want to be on the spectrum of you know hyper-casual to hyper-competitive? And the, the best part is there's no wrong answer. You are your own hobbyist. So if you decide A and I decide B, that's great because we're all Lorcana players together. And I think it's going to be important to facilitate in the community that competitive players are not better than casual players. Casual players are not the scum of the earth and the worst thing on the planet. And they're not less than us Casual players are just as important as competitive players. People who play with their families and kids and partners and never go to a game store are just as important as people who go to a game store. People who buy online are just as important as people who buy from friendly local game stores. There's, there's nothing differentiating any of us other than your attitude. So as long as you're not a jerk, we're all in this big boat together. And if you're a jerk, you can go somewhere else because we don't
0: want you.
1: (laughs) That's, um, that's kind of the inspiration for the name of my uh, user handle and podcast, Citizens of Lurkana, because we're all in this together, like we're all in this world inhabiting it together. And it's something that we should all be able to enjoy.
3: Yeah. And I think for those who are listening, regardless of how you feel about competitive or casual players, help the people around you in your personal bubble, in your personal circle. If you're on Discord, or Twitter, or your friendly local game store, help people. Answer questions, be kind, be funny, be inviting. You know, show them that love and compassion that people showed you to help get you into your favorite hobby, because that's what's going to really grow the game. Like, it's, it's really simple. Everyone's like, well, how are we going to keep Arcana alive? Oh, be kind and compassionate. Well, how will we get it to more people? Mm-hmm. Be kind and compassionate. Well, what do we do to make sure this game doesn't die? Be kind and compassionate. It's really simple.
1: <laughs> Sensing a theme.
3: Yeah. Super easy.
1: So, this was such a great conversation, and I look forward to hearing your guys' take on it on February 20th. Um, I'm super excited. I'm. You were talking about there are people who are going to listen to this that are thirsty. That's where I'm at right now. I want to elevate my level to be at that table right alongside you.
3: (laughs) Yeah. And I think the best part is you don't, you don't have to necessarily spend an exorbitant amount of money. So I know a lot of people are going to go, well, how, how would you do such a thing? So there's, there's this thing called proxying where you can print off cards from the internet. You just take a picture, you print it off, you throw it in a sleeve and you practice the deck. And that's what a lot of people don't realize is most people think, well, you have to have all of these copies of cards to build these decks, to practice with them. Uh, Conveniently, you do not. Now I do want to say right up front, you should still buy from your local game store, support your local game store. However, if there's, you know, five decks that are meta and they each have unique copies of cards and that would force you to have, you know, hundreds of cards that you may or may not be able to afford. Okay. like, There's a limit between like like don't go into debt to buy these cards be be rational but what you can do to practice is proxy out the decks figure out which deck you love and then buy the cards for that deck from your local game store support your local game store buy cards build your deck and you know maybe pick off singles online if you just can't get them locally but um, you can practice by proxying and cards and, you know, maybe go to your local game store and buy most places have bulk. So, you know, buy a box of bulk Pokemon. You get like 100 cards for five dollars. You don't care what's in the cards because you're just going to put them in a sleeve and then put a piece of paper with a picture of Mickey Mouse in front of it. And that's where you practice hundreds of times, practice, 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 practice. And then you decide, you know what? I don't like this Aladdin aggro deck, not my thing. I don't really like this Cruella control deck, not my thing. I do kind of like the Simba and Captain Hook deck. Okay, cool. So then, you know, go buy some booster packs at your local game store, go buy the Simba starter deck, and then fill in the gaps from trading or buying online. So you've done two things, you've saved yourself money and you supported your local game store while you're becoming a great player and practicing all of the meta decks at the same time. Win, 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 (laughs) win. Super great. And it doesn't cost you hundreds of thousands of dollars. It just costs you, you know, a printer and some printer paper and some ink. Or if you don't have that, you can go to your local uh, Kinko's or UPS and print off, you know, files for... I think a sheet of paper is... 40 cents? I mean, there's, there's a lot of ways to get your hands on the proxy cards to practice to then reveal what deck you want to play, and then you go buy that deck.
1: Yep. If people want to find you, where can they find you at, Sugi?
3: Yeah, so my name is Sugi. I'm a part of the Lorcana cast, so you can find us on... YouTube at Lorcana HQ. That's our YouTube channel. We're also at lorcanahq.com and that's where we have everything. So we've got articles, we've got podcast. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter, also at LorcanaCast. And then our podcast is on every aggregate. So you've got Google, Apple, Spotify. Uh, pocket casts everywhere humanly possible. If you enjoy Lorcana, we focus on being entertaining, educational, and like our, our philosophy is just kind of pretending that we're all sitting around at the local game store talking about Lorcana together and everyone is invited. Unless you're a jerk, then you can go somewhere else. Go play Yu Gi Oh!
1: <laughs> well, I will say I am subscribed to your podcast and I enjoy listening to it every time it drops. Uh, and it's exactly, exactly what you say. It's exciting and it's entertaining and it's educational. So keep up the great work.
3: Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Everyone is welcome to join. We've got players from all around the country, from all different experiences. You know, I'm a single guy, but we've got fathers and people who have got kids. And it's it's just a really fun environment where we've got perspectives across the board of people who want to play Lorcana with multiple experiences, both casually and competitively in multiple trading card game realms so we've got a really interesting pot of knowledge and we just want to share that with people because we enjoy talking about it and meeting people and just having fun facilitating a really great community of people
1: indeed all right well thanks sugi all right so that concludes our interview with sugi and again we thank him for joining me to have that conversation And if you want to find him, you just search Lorconicast into YouTube or any of your podcasts and you can find it right away. And it's a really great podcast. I highly recommend you downloading it and checking him out. So with that being said, let's jump into the rest of the news that we got. Welcome back, James.
2: There wasn't really any other new news. It was just a reiteration of news we knew. Um, and that was basically a few tweets after they tweeted out uh, about Magic Mirror, people asking some questions, and one of the questions was about the D23 cards and whether or not they were going to be, um, like, is there going to be anything, like, mechanically unique about the D23 cards or anything like that, and they replied on a tweet with, that's correct, Nearly identical cards with the same artwork and the same mechanics will be in Lorcan the first chapter, just without the D23 stamp, first edition stamp, or for the six cards in the collector set, that particular foil treatment. This is all stuff that they've said before, but not like in a very concise way currently, because the last time they mentioned the first edition stamp was like way back on like September 9th, on the first day of D23, and then they basically never said it again, I think.
1: When it was a little ambiguous, too, I know people had questions like it wasn't clearly stated. People were thinking, OK, it won't have the D23, but will it have the first edition? And I think they did end up clarifying that, but it did cause a lot of confusion there for a while.
2: Right. And so someone again asked them the question in reply to that. So no first edition stamp at release. And it was very clearly said in the next tweet from them there will not be a first edition stamp on Disney Lorcon of the first chapter. What that basically means is that, because a lot of people are thinking that may be, they may do a limited uh, first edition release of a certain quantity, and then from that point on, just do a basically a second print and just have it be continuously printed as long as there was demand. But it looks like it's just going to be a release with no limitations. It's just going to be put out there for everyone to buy and there won't be a first edition uh what that basically does is it uh makes the d23 cards uh that much uh more limited and special if there's no other cards that will ever be done that say first edition for the first chapter
1: well and the other thing that it does is it makes the game more accessible to the players instead of the collectors because if collectors knew that this set was coming out and there was a limited edition that had first edition on it they'd buy it all up especially that first run and you want the players to have the product when it first comes out yes
2: i mean we're gonna see some of that no matter what for sure see you know investors and collectors buying up product because they want you know they want in on the at the beginning Uh, the thing is is that if you know if robinsberger is running things right while there may be some initial uh product uh unavailable in places, if they just keep shipping it and keep pushing it out based on demand, then we're, they're going to be fine. Players will get it in our hands. They may not get it in their hands the first day if they don't pre-order, which by the way, go to your local game store and pre-order if you want it on you know initially, um, but you may be able to get it two weeks later or three weeks later or a month later. You're going to get it, and if they keep pushing it out like that, you're going to get it at retail most likely or close to retail unless it just is so insanely popular that the incident hits shelves. It disappears. Um, but they'll just keep pushing it out. And you, if you want to, if you want to wait, you can wait and see what happens. Uh, if you don't want to wait, go to your local game store and pre-order.
1: Yeah. I would second that. Let your local game stores know now that you're interested. I have, I have two stores that know that I'm interested and they've put me at the top of the list for pre-orders, because once word gets out, this is going to be a hot ticket item. So,
2: exactly. And uh, one of the other things they did, again, they answered another question, uh, again in that tweet thread where someone asked, "So the foil treatment might be used again?" And talking about the D twenty three foil uh, treatment, the specific one might be used again in the future, just not on those six cards. And the answer was yes. So. Some people are considering that because these six cards, seven, but the six that have the foil are going to be in the first chapter, that foil treatment will never be used on the first chapter. Uh, It may be used on other cards in the first chapter as promos, like let's say Gen Con gets an exclusive set like D23 did. Then they may put that foil treatment on six different cards or one different card, but those six cards will never have that foil treatment again. So that, you know, that was clearing up a lot of questions people had about the D23 set and again, about what kind of foil treatments they would use, what stamps they were going to have, whether it was going to be limited. So basically with just a few tweets, they answered a lot of questions.
1: All right. Shall we we move on to Jeopardy? Jeopardy?
2: Yes, it's time for me to quiz you.
1: All right. I got my thinking cap on.
2: Five random questions here. I'm just going to pick them as I see them because I got a list of like a hundred here. Okay, here we go. Uh, This is the name of the girl Max was in love with in a Goofy movie.
1: What is Roxanne? Correct.
2: Let's see if you can get this one. In the movie, okay, in the movie Beauty and the Beast, uh, this is who sings the theme song Beauty and the Beast.
1: Who is Mrs. Potts? Yes. All right, I'm on fire.
2: All right, this one's fairly hard, depending on if you've seen it. So this is your 300-pointer. This is Baymax's profession or purpose in Big Hero 6. What is a healer? Very close. The official term is Personal Healthcare Companion. Oh, so you got very close because you got the the general uh point of it there. Kind the genre, okay. the genre. Uh, I don't think. Okay, here we go. This is what King Fergus gives Merida for her birthday in the film Brave.
1: What is a bow and arrow? Yes, See, that one was either
2: easy or hard, depending on if you think that he would actually have given her a bow and arrow, which. <laughs> Or like, did he give it to her? But anyway, here is a tough one. Okay. This is the number of siblings that Thumper has in the movie Bambi. Oh my gosh.
1: <laughs> okay, I mean, I'll take a guess, but there's no way. Uh, what is, uh, what is seven? Close.
2: Thumper has five sisters. Wow. You're like, yeah, Wait, I never no would have gotten far. that one. 200 <laughs> No, I wouldn't have gotten it either. That was that's why it was the 500 point question. <laughs>
1: so
2: so you're you did trying good. To you give three... me an
1: impossible one.
2: Right. I I basically tried to give you an impossible one.
1: Well, I gave you the pl- Prince Florian last time, so that's fair. Yeah, that one that one was hard. Yeah. And when I looked Although that I was... up, did did you ever see where they gave him the name? It
2: was you said it was on something like not even connected to the movie. It was later.
1: So I wasn't 100% sure, but when I looked it up, it was from a commercial for Euro Disney in France.
2: Yeah, that's crazy.
1: (laughs) All right. If you liked what you heard today, you can click like, subscribe, and follow me on Twitter at Citizens of Lurkana. And obviously subscribe to this podcast. James, where can they find you?
2: Uh, you can find me everywhere online at Dan Regal, and you can check out GeekShotPhoto.com for uh, photography links and such for my wife and I. Awesome. Thank you all for uh, for listening.
0: At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving.